Welcome to Are You Quizzing Me? I'm Vinith Nair with my co-host Aditya Kashyap. This is a quizzing trivia podcast show where we ask each other questions and share what we know and learn with you. Though in a quizzing format, it's not competitive. The questions are simply a way of sharing our love of trivia. So sit back, relax and join us as we explore the depths of human knowledge. Here's the format. We ask each other questions alternatingly, as many as time permits, while giving as many clues as needed to help each other get to the answer. Let's get quizzing. And we are back for another episode. And as usual, before we start the proceedings, we have some unfinished business from the previous episode. Aditya was about to enlighten us all. So what would the band Nickelback be called if they were from India? Aditya, India wants to know, what would Nickelback be called if they were from India? In India, whenever you ask somebody for change, uh, they usually say, Chutta nahi hai. So I think they'd be called, uh, Hai nahi cash, like Johnny Cash. Oh my God, that's so bad. Oh, I think you've established a new record there. I, there'll be headlines <laughs> of people killing over dead, listening to a podcast tomorrow. I, I, you know this, uh, Vinita, I was struggling. I didn't struggle with the questions. I was really struggling with the punchline to this joke. For those of you who, who don't know this, I don't think of the joke before I set up the joke. So it's quite the, quite the hassle to come up with the punchline. But I deliver every time. <laughs> As yes, that me. was a David Hasselhoff of a question. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, all right. Let's get to the actual entertaining part of our Yes, let's podcast. get to the meat. Uh, I believe it's your turn to start off the proceedings with a question, Aditya. So. Okay, all right. Let me do this. So, Simon Whitley is a production designer from Australia, but he's known very famously for one of his specific production designs. This came about because his wife, who is Japanese, had a cookbook for sushi recipes. And he had been struggling to design this very, very iconic thing for the longest time. And and uh, the directors were not happy with what he was coming up with. So he went back to the drawing board and he took inspiration randomly from his wife's cookbook. And an iconic design was born from it. What design am I talking about? And when I say director, obviously I mean from a movie. So it's a production design in a movie. Okay, so production design in a movie that was inspired by a sushi, he said? Sushi cookbook? Sushi recipe. Sushi recipe. His wife's cookbook, yeah. A Japanese cookbook his wife had. Is this Kill Bill? It's not Kill Bill, no. No. Okay. That was just a shot in the dark because it's Japanese. I was trying to imagine what movie... Okay, is... um... I'm going on with the assumption that there's some kind of Japanese element to the movie as well, which is probably why he was so, inspired. So the inspiration for the movie did have Japanese manga in a big way. There were the, the inspiration was a lot from that space, but in the final product, you won't see any overt Japanese. So it's not like it's set in Tokyo. Or you'll see an iconic Japanese character. Uh, none is of the this, leads are Japanese. Is this Scott Pilgrim? No, it's not Scott Pilgrim, no. Sure, I thought you had it when you said uh, manga-inspired. First movie that came uh, to mind was Scott Pilgrim. Great, great movie, the... great movie, but no, not, not. Uh, Fantastic movie, but uh, no. Um, manga-inspired. 
I'm going back to Tarantino for some reason in my head, but he hasn't done anything okay. overtly so, manga inspired since Kill Bill. Let me let me hand you a little hint. Yes, um, this is an animated sequence. The movie is not animated, but this specific thing was computer generated uh, imagery, computer generated animation in a otherwise live action film. Okay. I'm, again, my mind is flashing back to Kill Bill, which does have an animated action <laughs> sequence in the middle of the mm-hmm. movie. That too, it's set in Japan. Mm-hmm. What is going on? Okay, no, oh, it's yeah. not that. So, it's not set in Japan. Okay, it's not set in Japan. It's an animated fight. Okay, I'm guessing it's a fight sequence. Is it a fight sequence? Um, no, it is. You would call it a stylistic choice for almost the entire movie. It appears in multiple points in the movie. Multiple points in the movie. Like I said, okay, let me give you more of it. Yeah, it is very, very vague so far. Um, Because it is animated, even the design, even the movement of this particular animation was inspired by how Japanese is written, traditional Japanese is written. Initially, the movement was going to be left to right. But now they've made it top to bottom. They made it top to bottom. That's that's where the designer knew that he had hit it on the mark. This is the Matrix. This is the Matrix code. This is the yeah, Matrix the falling code. code. The, the yes, yes, okay. The falling nice. green code in Matrix comes from a sushi recipe. Okay, how did he get from sushi? The cascading characters are actually uh, in Japanese. It is written in katakana, and. Oh. Uh, that yeah, which I didn't realize. I had no idea. Probably it was so small, and uh, it's it's. I thought those were random symbols. Yeah, it is not. It's actually katakana, and uh, the reason wow. being that uh, the Wachowskis, the Wachowski siblings, were inspired by manga in a big part yes, when yes, they yes. were making Matrix, and uh, they had asked uh, the designer to come up with something from that specific uh, culture. So he went back and he was, he put his mind to his, uh, he put the mind to the drawing board and uh, he decided that a sushi recipe cascading across the screen would uh, portray <laughs> the image beautifully. <laughs> uh, I, I, tell me his name again. Uh, the name of the guy is Simon Whitley, and interestingly, he still has not revealed what the recipe is specifically. We know it's a sushi oh. recipe, but what sushi specifically he has chosen not to reveal. So the mystery remains. That's a a cracker of a question to start with. That's a cracker of a question to start with. No, because to be honest, when you were mentioning everything, I kept thinking, is he purposely misleading me? It has to be Kill Bill. It fits everything in Kill Bill. (laughs) No, No, this is a brilliant, this is a brilliant, brilliant cracker of a question. Okay. Let me see if I can match that. This question is from a completely different uh, uh, area of, you know, trivia. Dwight D. Eisenhower, famous general and uh, sometime president of the USA, faced something of a dilemma in 1953. He was a military man and was so inclined to augment defense because of the perceived red threat, you know, the communist threat posed by the uh, erstwhile USSR. But at the same time, he was also a Republican president. And one of the main pillars of uh, Republican ideology is to cut state spending. So he was in a a bit of a dilemma. His solution was simple. Increase the armed forces, but then decrease their budget. Now, ordinarily, this would be impossible to do. The solution that the US Joint Chiefs of Staff came up with 
which they called the new look was a policy of using nuclear weapons in any conflict bigger than what they called a brush fire war this allowed them to radically reduce the number of servicemen and replace them with comparatively inexpensive atomic bombs <laughs> now all of this was described in a story in the winona republican herald a newspaper on 21st december 1953 the story also reports admiral arthur ratford as describing the policy as the blank fill in the blank theory okay he called this policy mm-hmm. as the blank theory or x theory mm-hmm. i need you to fill in the blanks with this common phrase which has uh, now got nothing to do with nuclear armament so any uh, conflict more than a brush fire that what yeah, you so the idea was the nu- uh, uh, you could have uh, a small nuclear weapons made quite inexpensively as far as they were concerned so even even if it's a small war rather than commit troops and other infrastructure on the ground just bomb them with a nuclear weapon very uh, simple solution huh, to come up with mm-hmm. <laughs> a strange world we live in where uh... atom bombs are considered a cheap and easy solution <laughs> yeah and this is 1953 oh boy all right uh and um, this phrase is no longer used exclusively in a military context yeah it's com- it's completely lost its nuclear implications okay the admiral uh, the honorable admiral arthur ratford described it as the blank theory this entire policy he described it as the blank policy or the blank theory and it's used quite often uh even today but people use it in a completely different context most of the time blank theory uh no i'm i'm i have absolutely no idea by the way when i say blank yeah. it's not just one word there are multiple words it's a phrase okay got it got it, got it. uh but yeah anyways i'm still lost so give me a hint okay this is a gimme because it's very difficult to give clues for this particular phrase without giving it away but i'll just give it so nowadays this is used in association with a financial implication rather than anything else most of the time oh wow stock market crash recession think uh more ground level don't go very high level you know it's not uh a very large philosophical kind of use it's used in daily life as well uh, but in a financial like economic sense yeah the implication it's used well is mostly financial it doesn't have to be macroeconomics it can be you know microeconomics home economics i'm being a little vague so that i don't give it away but still no. yeah 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 no and i'm still no um no i still have no clue you might have to if you don't have any other clue you might have to just give me the answer No, I can give you one more clue. So, uh, you know how there are certain things, certain concepts in different languages. Some require many, many words to describe, while certain languages have just one word to describe or two words to describe the same thing, right? Okay. So now, if this mm-hmm. phrase, which is in English, has multiple words, the same thing could be mm-hmm. described in Hindi, for example, in two words, something like "paisa okay. vasool." but the two words you're not going to tell me no the, the two hindi words would be paisa vasool to describe the same okay. concept but in just two words oh so paisa vasool is the hindi translation of that english phrase not hindi translation but yes you could uh, definitely use it in a similar context uh, uh thought changing no 
just think of the context again as i mentioned right he's a okay, can you can you just run me through uh, so this was for um, any conflict where uh, they basically wanted to cut down on costs so they were removing the expensive military men and replacing it with uh, nuclear arms which yes. is cheaper yes and this was right the eisenhower yes. and what is the name of the guy who named this lady admiral arthur alfer no his name is not significant oh, okay okay his name is you actually kind of summed it up quite well having these nuclear weapons would cut down on cost So just rephrase that sentence which you just told me, and you have the answer. Cut down on cost. It was a cost-cutting measure. I don't know. <laughs> no, no. Well, no I was I very surprised when I came across this. I had no idea this was the origin of this phrase. I no, I'm oh, I'm completely lost. Please put me out of my misery. I have no idea what you're referring to. Okay, so basically, this is the origin of the phrase. More bang for your buck. Ah. <laughs> Nice, <laughs> more bang for your buck. Oh God, <laughs> I would not have gotten that. Great. So this was actually when the article was written. This was actually an adaptation of Pepsi Cola's slogan, which was "More bounce to the ounce," which was introduced in 1950. Okay. Okay. Most sources credit U.S. Defense Secretary Charles Vince Wilson as the source of the hmm. expression. But these okay. invariably point him to uh, point to him having used the phrase in 1953. However, Wilson mm-hmm. wasn't the person who coined the phrase. Okay. Although its increased use in a military context during the time of the Eisenhower administration did bring the expression to a wider use. Okay. Interesting. More bang for your buck. <laughs> great, great. It evolved. I love that. Okay, fantastic. All right, my question. My question. So, okay. Uh, this particular practice is. Credited to various origin stories, so it's a practice that happens commonly in today's world, but uh, the origin of it is not very well decided. So I'm going to give you some of them. Let's see at what point you figure out what I'm talking. About. Yeah. Okay. Uh, to keep to appease ghosts is one of the superstitious origins. Okay. Do you already know it? No, no. I have a, I have a sneaky suspicion. But I just want to keep hearing the rest because I don't want to jump the gun and look like a fool. Okay. <laughs> no, there's no looking like a fool in this in this uh, podcast. No, Both I look like a fool to me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It is also sometimes apart from appeasing ghosts, it is also almost on the other end of the spectrum. It is used to scare ghosts away. So these are the superstitious reasons. It also has maybe a practical origin where. Uh, Gas leaks were prevented with this particular practice. A massive gas leak might be prevented by doing this. And perhaps the most rational reason for this practice is to prevent injury. Okay, I my okay. It's a good thing I didn't guess on the first try because the first try was <laughs> going for you know God bless you or something when people sneeze. Oh God bless you is a thing. No, no, no. This is not a not a verbal bodily function. Track. Not something. It's not. It's not a bodily function. I'll say. <laughs> okay. But it's also not something people say. Okay. So, uh, it can be used to protect against ghosts, to drive away ghosts, uh, to prevent gas leaks, and to prevent injury. And the, we don't know where the practice actually came from, right? Yeah, there is no specific origin that is definitive. Because gas, uh, you know, the kind of compressed natural gas that we use. 
is actually odorless. But then you add a substance to give it odor. So that's what I was, no, that can't that's, be. That's right. a great, great. That's a great guess, but no, this, in this case, it's not the right answer. Uh, in fact, uh, gas leaks were something that would have happened maybe a few decades or maybe even a century or so ago. In today's world, it's probably very unlikely that there would be gas leaks in this context, but the origin perhaps would have been gas leaks to prevent Okay, gas leaks. is this the practice of hanging a canary in a mine? Canary in a mine? Oh, that's, that's also a great guess, but no, not the right answer. Because I, they, the, that's the thing, they used to hang a canary and if carbon monoxide came in and the canary died or something, you'd know that you know, right. there yeah. was a gas. Okay, so that's not it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, not, but um, you are, uh, I'll give you a clue which I actually got Please. what you just said. This, this practice is specific to a specific kind of place. Wow, there was such a vague sentence. Let me try to rephrase that. <laughs> This practice, this this activity, or this thing is done in a particular type of place. So a mine would be an example. So in different mines, this would if mine was the right answer, in all the mines you'd be doing this, or all the zoos of the world you'd be doing this, or all the schools in the world you'd be doing this, something along those lines. If it's possible, I'm more confused. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, One more. Uh, this was something that became very symbolic uh, during COVID-19. Uh, so while we were all in lockdown. Oh, yes. Clapping hands. Oh, no, not clapping hands. No, no, no. It became symbolic. Let me let me narrow it down to an industry as well. It's in the entertainment industry, in the theaters, in the theater space. So that's what the location I was saying. So in theaters yes, uh, across the world, this is the practice. Gas leaks. Gas leaks oh. is perhaps an origin, but yeah, in I know. today's I, I, I yeah, in today's context, it would just be to prevent injury. That's the most rational reason. Nope, dude, I'm not getting anything. I'm just staring into space right now. Okay. Theater space to prevent no. injury. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm just lost here. You'll have to put me out of my misery. No worries. I will tell you, this was a very, very vague question, and very specific to perhaps those who are interested in theater spaces. It's the practice of the tradition of having a ghost light in a theater. Okay. I'm not familiar with a ghost light. What's a ghost light? Ah, okay. So let me tell you. Yeah, I assume that you did not know of this particular practice. This is the only reason you would have gotten it. A ghost light is a light that is left on on the stage. And uh, this is meant to be it's a small light. It's not supposed to be a very bright light. The idea being the safety is very obvious because in a big theater space, uh, when the crew members come in or whoever is doing the production design or who is doing the setup, whatever, uh, they don't know where the orchestra pit might be or where there ah, might be so props might on the stage. Yes, so you just keep a light always on in the theater space. Now, that is the most practical reason for having a ghost light. The other reason that some people think it might have been the origin was in gas-lit theaters, they used to have ah. a dim gas light just to relieve the pressure on the gas walls, just so there's no buildup of the gas and there won't be a gas leak eventually causing a catastrophe. But this was obviously back in the day. You don't have gas lit theatres anymore. And the ghost related reasons as you would know, a lot of theatres have the superstition of being haunted. So a very, very famous example is the Palace Theatre in London. They keep two of their balcony seats always uh, bolted open. You know how the usually theatre seats fold up automatically. Uh. 
they keep uh-huh. close the seats always bolted open and these seats are reserved for ghosts to sit on to enjoy the show Any so they always ghost? have ghosts to see uh, i don't know if they have a specific ghost in mind who they do it for but uh, palace theater london leaves that for them sometimes it, the ghost light is also meant to be like a, oh this at night when nobody is there the ghost can perform and satisfy their cravings <laughs> of performance which would then not make them sabotage the actual performance uh, that is to appease the ghost or to scare away potential ghosts and there's a ghost light uh, and during covid-19 a lot of theaters just to symbolize that oh we are alive in some way Oh, would just okay. stream the that one ghost light that was on like uh, in in the theater for those few months and that was symbolic of like oh we'll be back this isn't over oh, yet now this this is a true uh, til for me today i learned i had i had <laughs> never heard of this before and uh, for those in the audience aditya is a a child of the theater a theater greek i am yes so to me to me this feels right at home Uh, there's i'd like to take this opportunity to ask him uh, do you subscribe to the uh, scottish play uh, superstition or do you just say the name out loud oh uh, i have i have known uh, some of my directors and choreographers to do that i have never really cared that much but i like any other performer i do have my own superstitions i always say break a leg before somebody goes on stage and uh, <laughs> things like that which when you don't know the origin of it it's so strange and yet it's it's almost like this you know religious thing just because somebody has said it to you so many times you start saying it to other people and then when you google it and then you realize oh that's where the origin of break a leg comes from um, just random trivia if anybody's interested in google for those in the audience uh, the uh, the question i asked him was another question the enquiry i made to him was uh, there is a huge superstition around the world regarding Uh, Shakespeare's play Macbeth that it's very unlucky to say the word Macbeth if you are performing mm-hmm. that play in a theater and so uh, to prevent that uh, ex- uh, apart from when they are actually performing the play they use the term the scottish play so that they don't <laughs> accidentally say macbeth in the theater which can cause a catastrophe on the production you went specifically macbeth because i know that's the origin of it but i have seen directors who refuse to say the names of plays which are not in macbeth they will not oh. say it in the performance space i have known some directors who will just not say the name of the play in the performance space <laughs> oh okay now that that is fascinating yeah it's just almost like taking it to a whole new degree of macbeth uh, superstition to a whole new degree <laughs> So what do they call the play then in that case do they have like other names the indian play the performance or... the play the performance the play they just if you should say the name out loud in the theater space i've known a few directors like that so they will oh. not say the name directly <laughs> superstition is indeed powerful so oh, very very strong very strong yeah all right vinith your question okay i'm going into sports mm. mintonet as it was originally called was the name given to the sport founded by William G Morgan the sport roots can be traced back to Holyoke Massachusetts when William the director of the local YMCA created the sport as an alternative to the more physical basketball at the 2008 olympics a variant of this game was the most viewed sport at the olympics which sport am i talking about 2008 Olympics a variant of the sport was the most viewed sport 
Yes. Um, is it a sport with the ball? Because you said it's a it's a whatever it's a replacement for. Yes, basketball. it is a sport with the ball. It's safe to say it is a sport with the ball. Hmm. Okay. Uh, is it a team sport? Yes. Okay. The original name for the game was Mintonet. Mintonet. Is there a clue hidden in there? Yes, it that? could get you to the answer. It could. It maybe, maybe, maybe not. Depends upon how you see it. Net, net, is it netball? No, it's not netball. So I'll spell it out for you. Mintonet is M-I-N-T-O-N-E-T-T-E. Okay, no, that doesn't lead me anywhere. So uh, when did you say it was uh, the origins are from? I didn't say the year. Oh, you did not say the year. Oh, okay. Mm, I see. It's all withholding of information, Renate. <laughs> Could you give me that as a hint? Where is the year? No, no, that's not particularly hint. Frankly, I don't think that will help you much. <laughs> I would suggest that you focus on the old name or the original name, which is Mintonet. And also the clue that a variant of the sport or a very close uh, relative of the sport was the most watched sport in the 2008 Olympics. I don't think that has been uh, replicated since. It does have its popularity still, but it reached its peak at that point of time, especially in viewership numbers. So, so I'm guessing it's a mainstream popular sport if it was that. Oh, yes, definitely, definitely. I would be very surprised if you've never played it before. So it's not like dressage or something? No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not dressage, uh, nothing equestrian. Uh, this is a sport that's played quite often in schools throughout the world, dare I say. Yeah, it's oh, been played. I, yeah, okay, so my other guess was going to be football and I was thinking variant could be like a cage football, but I don't think that is an Olympic sport. No, it's not. I don't think like a... Yeah, cage football is not an Olympic sport. Uh, it's a replacement to basketball, so it's obviously not basketball. What is that? Ball sports. Oh, yeah. Uh, Ooh, is it, uh, is the variant beach, is it volleyball? Yes, it is volleyball. Ah. It's volleyball, beach volleyball. <laughs> okay, so, okay. The sport yeah, originally Mintonet is, uh, the, uh, the next clue, I was going to give you a clue if you hadn't gotten this. So, so I was going to say that even though it was intended to replace the most physical sport of basketball, tall play players are still preferred for this game. <laughs> right. Now that would have been, yeah, pretty good yeah. clue over there. So, a little background on this. Uh, basketball was becoming popular at the time, uh, but William G. Morgan wanted to create a sport at his physicality, where members did not have to run. Okay, So, he strung a badminton net in the gym. Oh, okay. <laughs> and using nice. the bladder of an old soccer ball, invented volleyball. Lee. Lovely. The sports origins of Mintonet are uh, rooted in the fact that the original sport was much like badminton. So, Minton to Mintonet. How about that? What a great, great piece of trivia. <laughs> Mintonet. Yes. Okay. Mintonet. My turn. All right. Yes. Let's move towards the world of business with my question. Uh, okay. Interestingly, oh, wow, I did not plan this, but I just realized even this has a Japanese uh, origin. So the name of this company is a Japanese word from a famous Japanese game. And the logo is also supposed to symbolize one of the most iconic natural landmarks in Japan. What company am I talking about? Iconic landmark in Japan that can... My first choice would be Mount Fuji. Mm -hmm. 
तो लोगो रेमिनेसेंट ऑफ माउंट फूजी इज इट अक्यूरा द कार ब्रांड नो 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 इट्स आल्सो फ्रॉम अ जापानीज नेम यू सेड राइट is mm-hmm. it a car company for some reason i'm thinking cars is it a car company it's not a car company no it's not a car company okay logo that is reminiscent of mount fuji am i right in mount fuji yes the the logo is a strong resemblance to mount fuji those origins might not be the mountains then but okay. the logo is strongly resembling mount fuji yeah and you said the name came from japanese word right it's from a game yeah japanese game Yeah, this game. I can't think of many Japanese games. Uh, Sudoku is one that comes to mind. Mm. Um, it's a board game. Uh, actually, wait. So the board game might be Chinese in origin, but it's popular in Japan as well. Is it Go? When you say Chinese the board game, the game is Go. Yes, yes, yes. You are very much Go Pro. Right? Yes. No, it's not Go Pro. So the word itself doesn't have Go in it. the okay. word itself has a term that is used in go a japanese oh, term that is used in go almost an equivalent of a check in chess oh uh, god i can't remember this i used to, I, i had tried my hand at go of a few years ago found it insanely mm. difficult it is it is wow i i was flummoxed by this game i can't remember the term yeah, i can't i just for the life of me can't remember the term okay So let me tell you. Yeah. So if if you don't immediately get it, uh, it, it might be a bit difficult. So let me tell you what this company does. Um, they are uh, in the technological space. So oh, that's it. That's the clue. <laughs> they produce games. Wait, Nintendo? No, it's not a Japanese company. Nintendo is a Japanese company, right? Nintendo is a Japanese company, but uh, it's not the answer in this case. Okay. So I was hoping Go might have gone to Do or Nintendo or something. Okay, now. Uh, but it's not the word is not go yeah so sega no no it's not sega also the technological video game company wait how many video game companies video game consoles arcade games from computers ea games i'm going to start name gaming yeah, i don't think it's funny like nothing to do with that no or <laughs> yeah. okay i it isn't blizzard obviously not blizzard no It's a very uh, once you hear the name, you realize it's obviously a very Japanese. Yeah, no, because I, 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 I'm fairly sure I'm going to kick myself when I get it. But uh, till then, I'm just yeah, going to blindly name every game company I know. <laughs> Activision. <laughs> That does sound like a very Japanese word. <laughs> no, anything can sound Japanese if you say it right. Uh, no, dude, I'm sorry. Samurai Blade while saying it, it can sound like a Japanese. <laughs> <laughs> no you'll have to tell me i'm i'm just i'm lost i'm lost uh, let me try to give you another hint i i believe in you anit okay um i'll give you some of the flagship games that this company has come up with okay okay i think that should lead you to it one of the most famous ones and i remember playing with a lot is space invaders atari atari is the name of the game that's the one that's all the name of the gaming company yes atari yes yes atari yeah on the moment you said space inverter i was kicking myself it was it's obviously yes it is atari <laughs> atari is uh, yeah atari the logo is these three lines which are converging upwards yes, and uh, yes. that's reminiscent of um, the letter a but also of mount fuji yeah and uh, atari the word itself is japanese 
and it is used while playing the game Go. Oh. It means yeah. to hit a target in Japanese and is associated with good fortune. Hmm. And it's almost an equivalent of like check in the case being like the opponent will be able to make a will be able to capture one of the stones in the next move. Okay. That's how they handle it. And that's where the company's origin comes from. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't think of Atari in the beginning itself. It's so obvious now that you pointed out. You know, I feel like today's episode, both of us have been uh, struggling. <laughs> and yeah, I think it's a late night. Case. We're recording this at where. Uh, yeah, I, I was night. just going to give us a justification and a little <laughs> cop out over there. Guys, just know that we're recording this really late at night. <laughs> yeah, it's not us. It's not us. It's the, it's the time of night. It's not <laughs> We should have our own superstition. Never record at night. We never get the answers right. <laughs> never. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to stick with sports. All right. Okay. Uh, the first iteration of this trophy was known as the Field Cup. Okay. I see a small smile. I think you may only know. Mm-hmm. It was won in perpetuity by William Renshaw after he won three successive finals. Its replacement, which was called the Challenge Cup, quickly became Renshaw's too as he extended his win by another three consecutive years. Since the replacement cup cost more than $15,000 of today's money, the organizers then stipulated that the trophy would never become the property of the winner. Since 1949, all champions have received a replica of the trophy to keep. The original field cup is now as a museum. The whereabouts of the second trophy are unknown. But the third iteration is well known to us all. Which trophy am I talking about? Uh, so the name Renshaw and uh, Field Cup, it leads me to cricket. Uh, is cricket, am I right in saying cricket? Oh, I was wishing you wouldn't ask that question so I didn't have to answer. No, it's not cricket. Oh, it's not cricket. Oh, interesting, interesting. I don't know why I immediately connected the Renshaw. Okay. I know this, so anyways, cricket, so it doesn't mean it can't be Ashes anyways. And I know the origin of Ashes is different. Uh, let's see. Is it the, is it Wimbledon by any chance? Yes, it is Wimbledon. It's the Wimbledon Men's Singles Trophy. You mm-hmm. got it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it has a long history behind it. I'll just go through that for the sake of their audience, you know, that, so that they also understand See, the gentleman singles trophy is that we currently know as the third iteration. The first one was donated by the Field newspaper and hence was known as the Field Cup, which was won in perpetuity by William Renshaw after he won three successive finals from 81, 1881 to 1883. Its replacement, the Challenge Cup, also became his when he extended his winning run to 1886. Having spent 50 guineas, which, as I mentioned, is around uh, thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars in today's terms. Uh, they decided that this trophy would never become the property of the winner. So the current trophy is made of silver gilt, stands eighteen inches high, and is inscribed the All England Lawn Tennis Club Single-Handed Championship of the World. The names of all the champions since the first are engraved on the trophy. Though a lack of space means now champion since two thousand nine are commemorated on a black plinth with a silver ornamented band that now accompanies the cup. Wow. <laughs> and nice. uh, that's the men's single trophy. Yes, you're right. And, um, I'm assuming every time you win it, your your name gets engraved. So if you have multiple wins, it'll be... Yes, so something like that would have multiple wins, yeah. Right, 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 right. right. 
Cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I can't take too much credit for guessing this because it was a guess. It was a guess. <laughs> no, but it was, to, to be fair, it was a very good guess. <laughs> Just the whole idea of it being a rolling trophy was like, okay. The only thing yeah. I can think of is Wimbledon. <laughs> Great. No, I, I doubt it's the only thing you can think of. I think the first thing you thought of was probably Wimbledon. You could probably think of many other ro- rolling trophies as well. I'm sure, I'm sure, yeah. It's probably the first thing that I thought of. Was That's good. Got me. I guess we get lucky at the end. <laughs> okay, your okay. turn. All right. So my turn. This material was initially meant to be wallpaper. This material, which is no longer used as a wallpaper, was initially conceived to be a wallpaper. Okay. A 3D wallpaper, if I may. I'm going to stop right here because giving anything else would be too much of a giveaway. Wait, what? That's it? <laughs> yes, it's a 3D, 3D wallpaper. Wallpaper being for the actual walls, not like a wallpaper for your screen. So wallpapers for actual walls. They're supposed to be wallpaper. Okay, this material was supposed to be 3D wallpaper. Yeah. 3D wallpaper. Dude, of all the vague questions you asked me, this is like the vaguest of the all. Unnecessarily vague. Unnecessarily vague. Let me <laughs> be kinder. No. Uh, so, like I said, it was a 3D wallpaper. The two guys who came up with it, um, an engineer and a, a Swiss inventor, Al Fielding, and the other guy was called Mark Havanis. They were trying to create a textured wallpaper, so 3D wallpaper. What they ah. did was this two shower curtains together in such a way that it became 3D, giving the wallpaper its textured appearance. The two shower curtains were sealed together. And uh, the listeners obviously can't see it, but Vinith can see me gesticulating wildly. So imagine two shower curtains and they're sealed together, but in a specific way such that the wallpaper now had a textured appearance. They realized that there is a much better use for this particular material and... uh, since then, it has been used in this other way and not as a wallpaper. This is tarpaulin. Tarpaulin? No, that's not tarpaulin. No. But tarpaulin is meant as a protective uh, material. Yeah, I'm guessing now because when you said shower curtain, shower curtain is usually water resistant. Uh, so it's something water resistant. Two of them combined together to create textured. These are not sleeping bags, right? Please tell me it's not sleeping bags. No, it's not a sleeping bag. No, no, no. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, to, I'm just thinking of anything that can be made with two layers of water resistant material. Uh, so, the water resistant part might be an important feature, but it's not the crucial feature for this particular material. What is gotcha. important and what I said and I was slightly vague about was the specific way that they sealed it such that it retained a textured appearance. It was a 3D thing. Because if you seal it just flat, services it would uh, not yeah. be 3d it would not be textured yeah yeah that makes sense uh, is it vacuum sealed or something no right no that's not vacuum sealed no i need a clue i need another clue it uh, was almost uh, made into an official toy given how much people enjoy playing with it people enjoy playing with it yeah almost made into a toy bubble wrap it is bubble wrap. <laughs> it is bubble wrap. Oh, okay. So the reason I was being vague was because the two shower curtains were sealed in the way that it left air between them, which would give it a textured appearance. 
the air bubbles were left in between. And the wallpaper itself wasn't popular, but what they realized was they had come up with a packaging material and uh, pivoted to that. And the toy uh, part of the trivia comes from actually Bubble Wrap made it to the National Toy Hall of Fame finals in 2016. Oh. So, it was amongst some top contenders, given how much people like to play with uh, bubbles. Oh yes, yeah, very addictive. Once you start popping, you can't stop. <laughs> oh, that 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 was even though uh, very vague. That was a brilliant piece of trivia. <laughs> Thank you very much. Kind of vague. Hopefully, you got there eventually. Yeah. Yes, yes, Maybe. yes. You helped me along the way quite a bit, but yes, we got there. <laughs> Okay, this is a, a favorite question of mine. I think you may get it quickly, but it's a very it's a favorite of mine, so I'm gonna ask it anyway. End it on a high, yes. The restaurants, Palm Court, Cafe Parisian, and Veranda Cafe were all grand eateries that were launched in the early part of the twentieth century. But they all provided service only for five days. Why did they stop service? Wow, I would I don't know. I, I'm, I'm thinking the most obvious answer is Saturday, Sunday. But uh, that would be too <laughs> boring. <of us. laughs> no, it's not because of the Sabbath or the weekend or anything like that. They stop permanently, not temporarily for the weekend. Oh, okay, okay. Ah, that's a, oh, uh, now I get the question. It Fine. Is a permanent like... shutdown. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm leaving this and I'm not editing this one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy please please excuse my foolishness <laughs> it's very late in the night hmm. so uh they operated for five days yes uh and then they shut down permanently yes they stopped operating after five days wow that is that is so interesting i'm gonna love this trivia because i have no clue right now but sounds really interesting no you'll have to help me Okay, I would uh, advise you to focus on the uh, timeline. I said the early part of the 20th century. Early part of the 20th century. And I would also say that there is a very, very good chance. I'm practically almost sure that you may have seen representations or reproductions of this of these eateries in popular culture. You must have seen. What are the names again? Veranda Cafe? Cafe Parisien, Palm Court and Veranda Cafe. Wow. Palm Court, Veranda Cafe, Cafe Parisien. Yes. And I have seen a representation. Yes, I'm, 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 I'm approximately given, uh, you know, uh, the fact that we both came through the 90s. I'm fairly sure that you must have seen at least, you may not have paid attention, let me just clarify that. You may not have paid attention when it was on screen, but you have seen reproductions of these. I'm 90% sure you've seen reproductions of these. It's, it's on screen, a reproduction of it. Because I was thinking a reproduction like, did you in a museum or something? Okay. So no. on screen, a reproduction of... The names may not mean something to you, but hopefully it I'm, does I'm point thinking, you in a direction. Uh, I, I, this is going to be such a short and dark... Because I was firstly going to say something along the lines of World War. Like, did it open five days before World War started? And all three of them started just five days, but no. I am going to say, uh, is, is this got anything to do with the Titanic? Oh, I was hoping you were not going to go there. But yes, these are the these are restaurants on the Titanic. Oh, boy. Okay, okay. Yeah, but the screen thing gave it away, honestly. Apart yeah. from that, I would not have gone. Yeah. 
so uh, in the 1997 film uh, they don't show all three but veranda cafe is shown very well wow okay nice 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 yeah i don't know cuz a couple of things that veranda so thing you got balcony and stuff so <laughs> no i once asked this question to somebody and they had an answer which kind of just uh, you know blew me away uh, in that they they actually went with the world war theme but uh, mm. what they went on with was when arctic ferdinand was assassinated his assassin mm-hmm. had actually given up on the first assassination attempt and had gone to have coffee or something apparently and yeah uh, i heard this yes yes so the he, what the thing he asked me was was this the cafe from which he saw the archduke and then stepped out at rotem and i was like i really want to give you points because of that answer that's a genius answer the genius yeah. answer genius answer mm-hmm. but yeah that's unfortunate not true a brilliant crack aditya was this the cafe that uh, hitler decided he's going to be a mass murderer something <laughs> completely out of the left field No, no, but there's no there's no cafe. There's actually a beer hall, if I if my memory serves me right, where Hitler uh, was originally sent as a an observer to observe certain elements of what would eventually become the uh, Nazi Party, and then he wow. kind of started speaking out, and then he was a good orator, and they adopted him into the party. If I remember, I I basing this off some documentary I saw. some time ago but yeah there was a there's a beer hall involved it's if it's, if i'm not mistaken it's not a restaurant but there's a beer hall involved there you go i was making a really terrible joke but even uh, <laughs> <laughs> love love that love that okay cool so aditya you know what it's time for now oh god i i i should stop this i <laughs> no you can't stop it now it's a tradition it's tradition oh it's a tradition just like ghost lights actually you know what they yeah, are speaking of ghost lights um what kind of a ghost would not be deterred by a ghost light which ghost would not be deterred by a ghost is my question and we shall find out the answer in our next episode okay so there you have it uh, ladies and gentlemen <laughs> uh, the puzzler of the week that aditya has given to you <laughs> so that's all for this episode and thank you everyone for listening in we hope you enjoyed the show and learn something new if you like what you heard please consider subscribing subscribing to our podcast and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast platform a lot of you have been listening in and we are thankful for your uh, time but please spend an extra few seconds to just rate us and follow us it helps us reach a wider audience we would also love to hear from you feedback suggestions and even trivia you can reach us on instagram at are you quizzing me we appreciate your support and look forward to sharing more episodes with you in the future stay tuned after the musical sting because fact checker general aditya kashyap will be back for the fact check with us as episode and so that's me signing off all right thanks bye 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 Here's the fact check for the episode. Until the success of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, Palace Theatre in London did have two seats permanently bolted open for the theatre ghosts. However, for the aforementioned play, those two seats were sold to the public. There are two ghosts in that residence: an unknown ballerina who has been known to pirouette across the stage, and the famous actor Ivor Novello. 
apparently watches performances from the magnificent dress circle. Gavrilo Princip, the assassin of Archduke Ferdinand, purportedly was eating a sandwich in a cafe when his to-be victim ended up in front of him and he shot him. However, the story is not substantiated and corroborated by historical sources and might be a popular urban legend. And that's all for the fact check.